cannot move. I'm in want of a leg. Legs. Two legs. So that I may put one in front of the other and work them scissor-like, press through across the earth to home, or that which I shall make a home. And on the end of these long legs I shall have two feet, one on each. Each leg? Indeed. On the end of each leg I shall have a foot. In total? Two. Two feet on which to spread the weight of my upslung form across the earth without falling. Only moving. Indeed. Moving flat across the broad earth which extends like a stolid prostrate sheath of solid air endlessly. Until its end. I'm in want of a leg. A leg. Two <laughs> legs. I do not even have one. I'm reckless. I've spent them. I saw you. You spent them on so much worthless junk. Which I cannot even reach to operate for want of a leg. Legs. Two legs. <laughs> I've spent both legs on so much worthless junk. Look at this. Junk. It is junk. I thought it was valuable for whatever reason once, but I was wrong. You were certainly wrong. I cannot tell the value of things. If you were to give me an object of any sort, of any aspect at all, I would mistake it for something else. Look at you. Look at me now. I'm without legs, lying naked on the bare ground with so much worthless junk ranged all about, out of my reach, for I'm without legs. Do you remember the man? I remember a man who came to me with many objects. He claimed they were of considerable worth. Uh, they were not. He cheated me. He lied and said, this such and such a thing is of near immeasurable value for this particular reason that you shall understand at a later point, but you may have all of it in exchange for just something of your leg. Which you gave him? I gave him one of many parts of my legs, the cost of much excruciating pain. Have you ever hacked a part of your own leg away to give to another man? It is excruciating. And also my present circumstance, which I did not foresee, over and over, he, he repeated the trick many times. Until all of your legs were gone. And he left forever, with all of my legs in separate parts, packed in paper boxes wrapped with silver ribbons. For that is what he insisted, and I did so, wrapped and packed them carefully, with great care, out of consideration for him. Which he did not return. Indeed. He has shown me no consideration whatsoever. Do you think, perhaps, that he meant well? I do not see how that could possibly be so, considering all of the lies and total lack of consideration that he's shown towards me, repeatedly, on a number of different occasions, until there was nothing left for me to give, for I had given him all that he wanted. Your legs. Both of my legs, which I once used without the slightest thought. Oh, so easily gliding from this place to that, or from this place to that high ledge, or into and out of some hole or other, or onwards, ever onwards, except to rest. Sometimes, sometimes it was good to rest. After a long day's stalking. Indeed. A long day's stalking on two long legs. Would you say they were long? Unusually long. They would reach a great distance. Indeed. Sometimes, when the moon was unusually low, I could lie on my back and polish its chalky white cheeks with the tips of my toes. With the tips of your toes? With the tips of my toes, I could reach all the way to the moon. A low moon, for sometimes the moon is unusually low, and it seems almost to sit on the ground, right in front of you, on the horizon, just there. And your toes would reach that far? Yes, 
Not so far, but far enough. <laughs> Some way further, indeed, than a common leg would allow. Yours were not common legs. Oh, indeed. They were most unusual mm. for their length as well as their strength. Mm. For sometimes, when I polished the moon with the tips of my toes, I would quite accidentally nudge the surface a little, this way or that, and the moon itself would roll, momentarily, of course, but roll it would, this way or that, squashing some unfortunate cloud or convection current. Mm. You know, the sort that loiter idly besides the moon of a summer's evening. I know the sort. And a very pleasant sort of cloud or convection current they are. Such that I would often feel quite desperately guilty at having squashed them momentarily, for they would not recover. They would be deceased. Their corpses imprinted with its scarred surface. Can you imagine such a thing? To have the face of the moon imprinted onto all of your body, and then to be dead on top of that, lacking any life, so that your lifeless body was now a paper-thin impression of the surface of a lifeless moon. And you would have nothing to do but drift, aimlessly wrapping against the shoulders of all the other clouds and convection currents that were yet alive and merrily marking their way across the clear sky. Can you imagine such a thing? I cannot. For if you were a cloud or a convection current and you were to die, then your body persists because the bodies of clouds and convection currents do not decompose and disintegrate as ours do, for there is nothing for them to decompose or disintegrate into. Can you imagine such a thing? One cannot disappear into thin air. No, it's a fact well acknowledged. Nothing may disappear in such a way. And so now, where the sky is cluttered with the dead bodies of these clouds and convection currents, it has ever been thus. And I am responsible for the thinnest and flattest and ugliest of all of them. Such is the strength of my legs. The length and strength of your legs. Indeed. Are these not the two most valuable attributes of any leg? And mine possessed a surfeit of both. A surfeit of strength and length. So it was. And I have lost them for so much junk. You must feel like an utter fool. I do. Most certainly so. I feel like a fool without a mind and legs. I cannot see a remedy. Me neither. There are no strats of wood nearby, nor sticks of stone that I could furnish as replacements. There is that one there. It's out of reach. I might fetch it. You might fetch it for me. I have legs, a body, hands and feet. Why have you not mentioned this to me before? <laughs> you never asked. I had no cause. And besides, my legs, body, hands and feet were so much less adequate than your own. At least until you lost your legs. And now, your legs, being more than nothing, are certainly better than my own. Indeed, they are certainly more than nothing, yeah. but perhaps they're not quite something also. <laughs> you lack the confidence. Can you blame me? All my life. I've accompanied you in one way or another, emotionally or intellectually perhaps, yeah. but never physically, uh, such that all of my muscles have wasted and my bones have thinned to the width of a single strand of hair, and weaker also, weaker than a single strand of hair. All my bones combined are weaker than a single strand of hair. <laughs> so how are we to proceed? I cannot say. Are we to remain here forever? Stranded in useless muck until all of our faculties wither to dust and our lives also, our lives become withered as death itself until we decease and die? I cannot say. Neither I. Do you remember once the time before? I remember it well. Our mothers introduced us at a young age. Both of us were mere seconds old. We were seconds old. Our mothers introduced us, yet we could neither talk nor tell the light from the darkness. I remember it clearly. I too. And yet, 
in spite of the fact that we could neither talk nor recognise anything at all, for the world was so very new to both of us, still our mothers beheld the fixing of a bond between our kindred spirits, such that any attempt to part us from each other would constitute a terrible violence, like the willful splitting of a single, solid life in two. And so they agreed. So they agreed to leave us lodged together for the duration of our lives. And they too, they too remained lodged together as a single mother comprised of two, but forming one. Like us. Like us indeed. Yes. So from the very beginning, can you remember that in order to survive and exist in the world, we were forced to act in synchronicity. And our mothers also in the same fashion, to the extent that each of us specialised in certain areas to complement the whole. I remember. And can you remember that since your body, arms and legs were so much stronger and longer than my own, especially your legs, legs. That, that I took responsibility for all of those things that did not require an excess of physical strength? or length, or reach, or both. I do. And for example, it was my responsibility to tell the hours of the day, using the watch, yes. or any other instrument of the measurement of the passing of moment to moment, such as the position of the sun or moon in the sky on a given day, or the creeping angle of shadows cast from tall rocks, or upright persons, such as yourself, mm. uh, when you could stand upright, <laughs> or the flow of sand through the narrow opening of a specially crafted Receptacle. I remember it well. Mm -hmm. I remember standing tall, as erect as possible, <gasps> perpendicular <clears throat> to the earth, and you crouching and scurrying about <clears throat> the furthest reaches of my long shadow, measuring the angle of it as I stood in perfect stillness, barely <clears throat> daring to breathe, lest your calculations were disrupted and time slipped from our grasp. Indeed. Was that so long ago? Not so long, but not so short a time either. It's so very hard to tell. <laughs> We've lost track. Indeed we have. And so you must remember that I also took responsibility for the handling of other abstractions, so to speak, such as the arc of each of our motions in timeless geometrical pre-configurations. And you, having received these designs, implemented them in physical substance, so that each movement of our bodies, of our hands, feet, head, eyebrows, lips, etc., achieved a certain stylish grace, so to speak. And we were lauded, were we not? for the apparently effortless grace of our general comportment. I remember that and well. The, the, the speed with which we accomplished these motions was quite phenomenal. Such as each of our machinations, our plans, and implementations of such plans were barely visible to the naked eye. And this added to the great spectacle of our combined grace, so that we became almost mythic in our capacities, to foreign and familiar observers alike. Indeed. We were lionised for it in every general population, and we toured to perform for many private oh. audiences that were uncountable mm. in number. <laughs> if I had tried to count them, I would have surely fallen ill <sighs> with the effort of doing so, for who can count the grains of sand on a long, balmy beach, or the quantities of microbial life forms on a single living world? Mm -hmm. It would be impossible, <laughs> even for the mythic supreme being that we once were. This was the scope of our popularity and the measure of our combined strength. And the quantities of money oh. that we received from these operations were also quite inconceivable, so that the figures became abstractions themselves, much like the abstract <coughs> geometrical configurations which seeded our original success. Indeed. And then we lost all of it, for one reason or another. All of the money that we received was so great that it amounted to... Nothing at all. It was a great shame to see all our monies collapse into nothingness, for that is the law of all things. 
when infinity approaches, all conceivable quantities vanish. So to our 16 houses, our army of servants, our titles, our deeds of purchase of every manner of object, our rights, accomplishments, our, our jewels, tassels, trinkets of every conceivable hue and matter, and matter also, all of the things that we owned which were comprised of matter, they vanished also. And all that we were left with were the rocks and hills to which we were born, so did not own in any technical sense, and our bodies also, which despite containing many marvellous and valuable features, not least among them our long and loose appendages, <laughs> exemplified, surpassed even, by the excellence of your legs. legs. These things were scant pickings indeed by comparison to the immense wealth that we once owned, that we lost in foolish ignorance of the law. Why did no one tell us of this law? Yes, it was quite inconsiderate for no one of appropriate wealth and experience to inform us of this law. And we encountered many of such persons, knew them, befriended them often, and there were, there were many, so many of them that they seemed to flow and undulate as one complete living thing, and they were everywhere. Also, everywhere that we travelled or settled for a short time, the wealthiest of the wealthy crowded about, offered us innumerable gifts and comforts which we could not accept. For those gifts and comforts had already come into our possession, moments before they were offered. As our wealth was increasing at such a rate as to encompass everything that we perceived at the instant of precognition. Quite so. But many of the relationships that we fostered with these wealthiest of elites seemed quite mm. intimate and meaningful, did they not? They most certainly were. I remember mm. one particular billionaireess, a widow, was she not? Mm. Who seemed <laughs> quite desperately lonely at the death of her husband yeah. and the expiration of her youth, so mm. to speak. Who spent much of her time stalking the opulent casinos mm. in which we sometimes performed to private audiences in private rooms or auditoriums built for the sole purpose or exhibitions. And there she sat. On any number of occasions, in the front row, her wrinkled mouth ever curling to the broadest of smiles as we reached the crescendo of our act, and then, as we finished, her smile would fall, and her mouth pucker to a plaintive grimace, and a tear would roll from her left eye across her left cheek, skirt her plaintive lips and disappear behind her chin, just as another tear issued from her right eye, and followed the same mirrored course across the right side of her face. It was a sad sight to behold, mm. one that moved me to act against it with much love and compassion. You did not even know her. I did not even know her. You did not even yeah. know her, yet still you stalked across the auditorium, yes. wrenched through the blissful, grasping scrum of awestruck adulants, set down beside her, and then delicately retrieved the tears from behind her chin to return them to her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> She was very grateful. So <laughs> grateful that she immediately offered to exchange her stray tears for a lifetime of loving friendship to which we both of us agreed without hesitation. Without hesitation. And where is she now? Where is she now? She has gone, evaporated with the rest of our wealth like so much dust in a storm. And did she warn us? Did she hell? Then she knew too. She knew that our worth then converged ever so rapidly with that vicious vector of infinity, which falls like a guillotine on any extant quantity that strays across its shadow. This is a simple thing, is it not? An effortlessly simple thing. If we had known, we would have halted our operations yes. and retired yep. to the mellowest of dreamlike quasi-lives, lives to which all the best and most accomplished individuals retreat when their time is done. For they are lives without consequence. <laughs> nor any other of the heckling sorrows which make this life such a terrible fall from the high mm. peaks of perfect nothingness. Oh, do you remember the nothingness? 
I remember it perfectly. The memory of its perfect absence makes an easy balm in troubled times such as these. And it's with the memory of this perfect nothingness that you have managed to forgive and forget the harms perpetrated against us by the selfish, the cruel, and the inconsiderate. That I have. Its image courses through me like a liquid silver light, ever giving, ever loving, and I pass its perfect hollow goodness unto all of those responsible for the grave crimes committed against us, myself first among them. For they, ourselves included, were blinded to its guiding goodness, for whatever reason. The round reality of our own real life eclipsed it from our sight. Its goodness is a nourishing fuel. With it we will rise and resurge, and our bodies, our legs and our arms and our meaty trunks shall restore themselves to ten times their former size. Ten times. And benedictions shall fall from our tongues and our palms (laughs) and our open eyes into the mouths and eyes and open palms of our adversaries, and they shall rise with us also in perfect sympathy rosy in the pinkish silver light of its fine restorative emptiness. For we are lovers of nothing above all. It is nothing that we love. Pass me those sticks. Those sticks of stone. And struts of wood. Pass me them here. I cannot reach them. Tap the inswelling spring of nothingness and course it to the furthest reaches of your outslung form. I'm doing so. You're doing it the wrong way. I cannot do it. Regard. See how I now wrench rivers from the inswelling spring and direct them through my body deep to its darkest microbial catacombs. Where all the dead things go to die. Indeed. There the voiding currents sweep the festering waste and turn it to some gainful use. Such as? Claws, nails, hair, or any other dead thing that life makes live again. Those are not legs. Indeed not, although from it I might fashion two approximate leg-like appendages. So the living pile the bodies of their dead kin into shapes and sounds resembling life always. Precisely. I can see a fine crust unfurling from the rim of your waist. Indeed. Now it creases into two thick stumps where once your legs were thrust. Quite so. They are growing apace, each stump now thinning to a long pointed horn, smooth and brown, burnished with streaks of white and gold, the tips now curling to two flat Hooves, and you are moving them also, straining your whole leg like horns against the dirt and stones, heaving your side slung trunk incrementally forwards towards the sticks of stone and struts of wood for which you now have no use. For I am already in possession of replacements for my once marvellous legs. Pull yourselves up. With these sticks of stone and struts of wood, I shall do so. I shall choose one and jam it hard into the ground, and in so doing, generate an upward-bearing force which I shall ride like the moon-rained tide to some high perch, gyroscopically poised astride proud hips and long leg-like horns. And from there, I shall take a long look around and choose a point of some salience, perhaps a tall familiar rock or otherwise a favoured forest or a lake well loved, to which I'll go smoothly on until I reach it, and there I shall sit down. You're doing so. It is a laborious effort. You're swaying like the branches in a strong wind. I cannot hold to a fixed point. 
The horns are inanimate, lacking the swiveling pivots of a true leg, uh, by which all loose living things adjust themselves to the inconstant surface of a hard earth. I cannot stop moving. I'm in want of an ankle. Ankle. Two ankles, so that I might set myself upright upon the ground and work them axle-like across rumpling roads and roiling hills and wide declining plains near and far ahead. And above these ankles, I shall have two knees, one on each. Each leg. Indeed. In the middle of each leg, I shall have one knee with which to vault myself above the world without falling. Only moving. Indeed. Moving fast across the broad earth, which extends like a thick stretch of prone flesh endlessly. Until its end. I'm in want of an ankle. Ankles. Two ankles. <laughs> I do not even have one. I am reckless. I have missed them. I saw you. You missed them out completely. If you were to give me a task of any sort at all, I would do it wrongly and in the attempt, clatter out a catalogue of hapless mishaps, each of which would beget further mishaps, independently, as if of their own free will, and so on and so forth, until millions upon millions of their contingent consequences descend upon us, as if they were choosing to do so quite independently, and the largest and most grotesque among them, which are like planets to their straggling moons, are two ultimate errors committed in desperate innocence. One the loss of my legs, and two, my replacement of said legs with two wholly inadequate leg-like horns, which I have grown from my midriff with neither the proper thought nor care, so that they lack ankles and knees also, both of which I would need to operate any leg effectively, in addition to the myriad of sinew, muscle, and cartilage that each of these things also requires, to the effect that I am hobbled and burdened also, burdened with the weight of two vast antlers, and hobbled by the continued absence of an adequate leg. Legs. Two legs. I'm hobbled by the absence of my own two legs. want of a head. Heads. Two heads, one for each, so that we may work them mirror-like against the hard light of chaos. And inside both heads, we shall have a brain. One in each. Indeed. On the inside of each head, we shall have one brain. In total, two. Two brains with which to run ourselves about the world without falling. Only moving. Indeed, moving mm. wide across the broad earth which extends like a pock-marked plate of solid dreams endlessly. Until its end. I'm in want of a head. Heads. Two heads. We do not even have one. We are feckless. We have lost them. I saw you. You exchanged both of our heads for so much worthless bunk. Which I cannot even operate for want of a head. Heads! Two heads! I have spent both of our heads on so much worthless bunk. Look at this. Bunk. It is bunk. I thought it was useful for whatever reason once, but I was wrong. You were quite wrong. I cannot tell the worth of things. If you were to give me an item of any sort, of any purpose at all, I would misunderstand it and take it for something else. Oh, look at us. Look at us now. We are without heads, lying headless on the bare ground with so much worthless bunk ranged all about out of our grasp, for we are without heads. Do you recall the hand? 
I recall the hand that came to us with many items. They seemed of considerable worth. Well, they were not. This hand cheated us. This hand showed us things that were not as they seemed, that any fool would have seen for what they were if not for the seeminess of the hand. It was an unseemly hand. Both see-me and unseemly. <laughs> for this hand indicated that each item was of considerable use for reasons that were hidden by the angle of this hand's thumb, but that would be revealed in good time and that we could have any of them in exchange for just something of our heads. Which you gave it. I gave one or many of parts of our heads, <laughs> my head and yours to this hand at the cost of much agonizing grief. Have you ever hacked away a part of your own consciousness before? <laughs> I had not. It is agonizing <laughs> to have the parts of you which consist of you, your memories and thoughts, your dreams, desires. Gone. Hacked away, like so much rag to a cat's claw, and also the outer layers of skin and skull which so encased all of it. It was agonizing. Agonizing. No, we are lucky. Lucky. Mm. Lucky that we had, quite accidentally prior to this, secreted one or many parts of our minds into other parts of our bodies for safekeeping, so to speak. And the hand did not notice. No. <laughs> the hand did not notice. If, if it had noticed, it would have indicated as such and pursued the matter further, but it did not. <laughs> and we are grateful for at least now we are able to think with our elbows. Dream with our toes. And recall with the long tubes of our lower intestinal tracts. For the mind is flexible above all. Mm. It may be deposited anywhere, mm. so to speak, with great malleability, no matter the context. And we are lucky too, lucky that this hand did not notice our mouths and voices. That we have copied also for safekeeping. By installing valves and lip-like cords directly into our diaphragms. In case of emergency! <laughs> Ours were great minds, who would have thought to make preparations for any such eventuality as this one? Ours. Ours did, and though we are substantially diminished, perhaps to only a fraction of our previous strength, still we are here, remembering our past, considering our predicament, dreaming of solutions to it. Precisely. And our eyes. Our ears also. Our eyes and ears were both copied also, in addition to our mouths, our voices, our minds. But it was poorly done. Yeah, slapdash. It was slapdash, mm. how we hastily copied these things with only a cursory sketch. Cursory, but functional, and deposited them elsewhere, outside of our heads. Ours were great minds. Indeed great but not omniscient either. Uh, that was beyond us. Our minds, though great, could not have known everything. Oh, this hand. Indeed, this hand was most unexpected when it came. We had not even sat down when it came. We had not even sat down to rest from our labors, our laborious, cursory sketching and reconstruction of everything about our heads. Apart from our hair. Yes, apart from our hair on our heads. Everything was reconstructed. For what use has hair? None! Hair has no obvious use apart from warmth on a cool night. Well, and, and shade in the hot sun. And skulls also. 
We do not have our skulls. For what use is a skull without a soft brain to enfold? None, none. None. It has no use at all, so apart from our hair, our skulls, and also our noses. Oh, which we lost. We lost our noses somewhere in the effort also. But apart from these things, we have everything in redacted form. Ours were fine minds. Fine, indeed. Do you recall their size and scope? Oh, they were immense. Immense. <laughs> For in the lean dome of each of our skulls, there lived a cosmos of its own. And this cosmos was not composed of stuff and things, but rather perfect, unblemished forms, each crystalline, unblemished by the erring, miring mass of stuff and things which each moment ground against the outside of our minds. And the things we could do. The things we could do with our once fine minds. Do you recall that we once built a beautiful man? A sinuous hulk of muscle and bone, with hair like muddy, rushing water, and eyes of silky, sultry fire. Do you remember? <laughs> I remember. And do you remember that this man, this beautiful man, loved us like a lover should, plain and kind, with a passion that was plain and kind, for that was our intention. Our great minds planned it so perfectly, without errors, such that soon our beautiful man loved us too well. And we were undeserving of his affections. The purity of his affection became too pure for our imperfect selves, and we were at a loss. To be loved too well a is a terrible thing. Difficult thing. Mm. It scolds! And in the scolding heat of his affection, we aged too fast! <laughs> Our bodies parched and crumbled in the scalding heat of it, and so we built her hurriedly, beautifully. We hurriedly built a beautiful woman, <sighs> beautifully to divert his love away from us. Sweating in the wretched glare of his affection, our bodies crumbling in the heat, we sowed this beautiful woman from the dust and gave her life. For him, we gave her life, and she was Perfect, mm. also like him. Both were perfect. Oh. He for her and her for him. <laughs> they were perfectly matched oh. and matchless, also in perfection. Our fine minds made it so with such easy, hurried grace. And then they saw. They looked upon each other and saw. They were exactly matched. And in the moment that they recognized this fact, the very stuff which made them up belched and buckled inward. It was too much! Too much for all the mass of stuff and things that we had bound perfectly. These imperfect things that we had perfectly bound in each, they broke. They could not bear the weight of totalized perfection wrought between these perfect souls that we had built with our fine minds. minds. For all of the virtues known to us, there is none so true as love itself, none so strong and, and heavy. Oh. Also, it broke them. It broke the things which made them, and they shattered there and then. The man and woman, whom we had made perfectly, broke to many pieces when they first looked upon each other. For we had planned it so with our fine minds. We had planned the breaking of these perfect 
perfect souls precisely for that each shard, each particle scattered straight to one of the many thousand prefixed points in space set with a circular zone that we had chalked upon the ground just prior to the event. And these particles, these shards of former perfect forms, now thronged in joyous sympathy, so that they made a sort of sense, and a message coalesced, it seemed, from the very mouth of God. For God is love, and love is God, and in the making of these perfect lives, the love this man and woman felt for one another was so unutterably complete that in its expiration, God himself also expired and muttered out these dying words that we did not understand. And we knew this. Also, we had schemed it so with our fine minds Mm. to vanquish God with his own love Mm. that he had lent us thoughtlessly, as he had to every living thing, carelessly, the awesome fire of his infinite love that we turned back against him deliberately Mm. to vanquish him and take his seat upon the throne of life and death eternal. We thought our minds better than his thoughtless love. They were not. For in his expiration, infinite loving harmony vanished also inconstantly at various times so that everything became utterly irredeemably itself. And now there is no this and that, but only this or that thing, each severed from the other, so that all things now live only as themselves, never others. That the, the links between each thing, each moment, are now irreparably unfixed. And so it goes that you are there and I am here in the space between ourselves there also each of these things of you and I and the space between ourselves are utterly distinct and severed from each other. To me, you are not really there. And you are absent also. Our minds once seemed completely in control, but they were not. We are alone. Together, we are separate and alone. Parts of us separate also from our bodies Parts of our bodies become separated also. Inconstantly. Inconstantly they drift away. Our legs. Arms. Hands. They drift away. And then return. And then the parts of us that were once here return renewed, emboldened by the blackness of a godless ether. Infrequently. Infrequently. Our legs, arms and hands return encouraged by the absence of an omnipresent love. They are psychotic. They think only of themselves. That leg. That leg which came back treading, stamping. Your leg. It was mine. The leg was mine. And it returned, hopping, prodding, treading, stamping. It demanded with its pointed, prodding things to stamp and tread. Which we gave it. We gave it anything we could to stamp and tread. Rocks and stones and clumps of earth and our bodies also. It stamped upon our bodies, which we gave it. We we laid our bodies low for it to stamp and flatten out our stomachs. And then it left. Satisfied. Selfishly. As we whined and writhed about our flattened stomachs, it left blithely without the slightest empathetic gesture, as if we never once were one. Ourselves that once were one. Gone. Now nothing adds to greater than the sum of all its parts. 
We have done it. With our fine minds that we once owned. We have desiccated nature. And broken it to sneaking separate selfish parts. That selfish leg. Sneaking hand. Your hand. Mine. <laughs> it was my hand that tricked away our heads. Look at us. Look at us now. We are without heads. Lying godless on the bare ground with so much worthless bunk <laughs> ranged all about out of our grasp. For we are godless and without heads. We have been fools with our fine minds. With our fine minds we have been utter feckless fools. For we have killed God with his own infinite love. And as a consequence, lost legs, arms, a hand, both of our heads to his same ruthless hand. I cannot see a remedy. Neither I. There are no flecks of God nearby, nor scraps of mind that we could furnish uh, as replacements. Uh, there is that one there. It is out of reach. Well, I might fetch it for us. You might fetch it for us. Well, it, it's closer to me here on this side. If I, if I screen across like so, I might reach it with the tips of my fingers. It is too far. It is unreachable. And besides, it occurs to me that as both God and mind are intangible, even if I could reach it, in any case, I would not be able to touch it. Try a little harder. Oh, it is a great effort. You're getting closer. Just an inch or so more. Keep going. I'm almost touching it. Cannot stomach. I'm in want of a trunk. Trunks. Two trunks, one for both, that we may work them sponge like against the burgeoning tide of edible or imbibable substances. And on the inside of these trunks, we shall have two chests, one in each. Each trunk? Indeed. On the inside of each trunk, we shall have one chest with which to heave ourselves about the world without gasping. And breathing. Oh, indeed, panting hard across the wide earth, which extends like a fat bulb of gaseous ether, endlessly. Until its end. I'm in want of a trunk. Trunks. Two trunks. We do not even have one. We are gutless. We have squandered them. I saw you. You squandered both of our trunks on so much tasteless gunk. Which we cannot even... <laughs> Which we cannot even stretch to ingest for want of a trunk. Trunks. Two trunks. I have squandered both of our trunks on so much tasteless gunk. I mean, look at this. Gunk. It is gunk. I thought it was digestible for whatever reason once, but I was wrong. You were so wrong. I, I cannot tell the nutritional value of things. If you were to give me a substance of any flavour, of any texture at all, I would mistaste it and take it for something else. Look at us. Oh, look at us now. We are without trunks, lying gutless on the bare ground with so much tasteless gunk ranged all about, out of our stomachs, for we are without trunks. Do you remember the game? I remember the game we played with many others. Its profits seemed of considerable worth. They were not. This game beat us. 
This game seemed to offer us prizes of remarkable taste and value for reasons that were concealed somewhere between many thick volumes of explanatory literature. And it promised that we could win any or all of these prizes in exchange for just something of our trunks. Which you gave it. I gave it one or many parts of our trunks. Our stomachs, our hips and our chests to this game at the cost of much tortuous detachment. Had you ever sliced away a part of your own core before? (laughs) I had not. It is tortuous to have the many parts of you which pin your head and legs and arms together snap. Sliced away. Like so much cake to a rat's jaws and also the outer layers of porous fatty tissue which so enwrapped all of it. We are unlucky. Unlucky. Unlucky that we had, quite deliberately prior to this, made no preparations whatsoever. None. Deliberately, we had not planned anything for use for this particular circumstance. This game. Oh, indeed, this game was most addictive when it came. We had not even sat down when it came. We had not even sat down the most basic plan for our gaming, our fecklessly reckless gambling of everything about our trunks. Apart from our cots. Oh yes, apart from the cunts in our crotches, everything was gamed away. For what use have cocks? None. They have no use at all apart from the excretion of fluid waste and the intimate attachment of one being to another for no good reason whatsoever. Besides pain or procreation or the cementation of romantic love. Oh yes, apart from those reasons, there are none. None. And there is no use now also for any other of our disassembled parts, for our legs and heads flail discordantly this way and that, lacking any central nervous system to point them to a purpose. But we lost. Oh, we lost them also. Our purpose and our central nervous systems that we once used without the slightest thought. Oh, so easily gliding from this aim to that, or from that shy gesture to this proud act, or onwards, ever onwards. Oh, except to ingest sometimes. Sometimes it was good to ingest. After a long day's instructing. Indeed, after a long day's instructing of two pliant bodies. Would you say they were pliant? Usually so. They would accept a great deal. Oh, indeed. Sometimes, when the stars were unusually bright, I could lie on my back and soak up all of their crystal white light with the front of my trunk, so that each of them dimmed to a deep grey speck, and the night became truly and totally dark. With the front of your trunk? Yeah, with the front of my trunk. I I could soak up all of the crystal white light from the stars at night, for sometimes the stars are unusually bright, and they seem to sit right at the rim of a cloudless sky, atop of its sphere, just there. And your trunk would accept as much? Yeah, not so much, but more than enough. A a good deal more, indeed, than a common trunk would allow. Ours were not common trunks. Oh, no, indeed. They were most unusual for their absorptive properties as well as their strength of purpose. For sometimes, when I soaked up all of their crystal white light from the stars at night, I would, quite accidentally, pull them. By the strands of their starry white light, I would pull them just a fraction closer to the Earth, cramping some unfortunate electromagnetic field or radiation current. You know the sort that dally idly by the stars of a winter's evening. I know the sort. And a very pleasant sort of electromagnetic field or radiation current they are, such that I would often feel quite desperately anguished at having cramped them. 
For they would not recover. They would be dismembered, their corpses severed by the strands. Those strands of light that I pulled to us tightly, cramped and shivered through them. Can you imagine such a thing? I cannot. <laughs> to have the scattered light of the stars etched into your body and then to be dead on top of that, lacking any life, so that all of your body was now a mangled impression of the surface of the heavenly vault. And, and you would have nothing to do but oscillate, aimlessly brushing against the shoulders of all the other electromagnetic fields or radiation currents that were yet alive and merrily weaving their way across the dense vacuum of space. Can you imagine such a thing? I cannot. For if you were an electromagnetic field or radiation current and you were to die, then your spirit persists inside of your body for there is no other heaven to move to. One cannot move from heaven to heaven. No! It's a fact well acknowledged. There is only one heaven, so that one cannot depart to another. And now, the heavens are cluttered with the disjointed dead bodies of these electromagnetic fields and radiation currents. Their spirits snagged inside. It has ever been thus. And I am responsible for the most cut, mangled, and maddened of all of them. Such is the strength of my trunk. The sponge and strength of your trunk. Indeed. And are not, are these not the two most valuable attributes of any trunk? And ours possessed surfeit of both. A surfeit of sponge and strength. So it was, and I have lost them for so much gunk. You must feel like an utter fool. I do, most certainly so. I feel like a fool without a mind and trunk. I cannot see a remedy. Neither I. There are no blocks of flesh nearby, nor nests of bone that we might furnish as replacements. There is that one there. <laughs> no, it's too smeared in gunk. I might clean it for us. You might clean it for us? As it happens, I have a rag to hand. Where? There, by my hand. Well, use it on that block of flesh or nest of bone. I cannot. You can? I cannot! Those! My fingers. Curl them about the rag. I haven't the nerve to tell them. Borrow mine. Those are mine. Those nerves beside your hand. Those? Yeah, they're mine. Um, parts of my nerve run still to it, to, to the ground beneath your hand. Can, can you see it? Those wisps. Those wisps of ravaged webs splayed across the earth. They're yours. They're mine. And mine too. And yours, your nerves too. Those parts discarded from our trunks run clearly across the ground. From the base of our skulls, they run out to all of our limbs, or some of them. Not this hand. No, not that hand. Yours. Mine. Your hand is numb, twitching nerveless by the rag. This rag? This rag, which also lies a hair's breadth from two or three wisps of nerve. My own nerves, which in turn waver gently with the breeze. What breeze? Our breath. Our breath breezes them gently as they fray about the ground. Your nerves? Mine. Blow them. Blow them to your hand. I cannot do so. Neither I. We once had lungs with which to blow, but we lost them. With our trunks. Lucky that we breathe instead with one discarded half lung each. Oh, we each have half a lung to breathe, but not enough to blow. No. Then how are we to proceed? I cannot say. Are we to remain here forever? Stranded in useless muck. 
until all of our faculties wither to dust and our lives also. Our lives become withered as death itself until we decease and die? I cannot say. Neither I. Do you remember the round? I remember the round we played with many others. It was part of the game. Which we lost. Oh, the game we lost. It was a terrible game. And the round, worst of all. There were six on the table. Six. And in our pockets, four. We had to lie. We had to pretend that we had six or more in our pockets also. We failed. We lied and we failed. We tried. We tried our hardest. We tried to make it seem that our pockets bulged with six or more. Many more. We made our pockets bulge so wide our very thighs seemed pregnant. Which they were. They were indeed. For in each of our pockets we also harboured embryos which grew and grew. Rapidly. In the warm, moist conditions of the insides of our pockets, four vast babies grew rapidly. We had not planned it so. No, it was quite accidental. A total coincidence that we had quite absently placed four fertilised embryos directly into our pockets and also the necessary organic matter to feed and fledge them fully. It would have been fortunate. Yes, it would have been, if not for the others in that game. They knew or guessed correctly, despite our efforts. Our efforts were immense. Oh. You recall their grace and style. They were spectacular. Spectacular. <laughs> for nine rapid months, we raised a dazzling spectacle of blank sterility to divert them from our long delight at forming children on the insides of our clothing. We bore these children. We did. We bore those children out from the insides of our clothing. Silently. With great pain. All the while pretending that our pockets bulged with six or more. Much more. It was spectacular. And then we raised them also. Secretly we raised four children up from birth to rugged adolescence. Secluded from the other players in this game by the broad bulk of both of our trunks, these children grew to independence and we loved them fully, secretly. Rapidly. We loved them with a careful, rapid love. Without any plan whatever. No, we had no plans whatever for the rapid raising of these children oh. and the concealment of it also from the other players in this game. We made it up. As we went on, we made it up with great spectacle. No one would have guessed it so unless they knew. Did they? How could they? In the face of so much style and grace. We affected with much style and grace an air of such inscrutable sincerity. To convince them of a desperate lie. Oh, by then, all of the upper parts of our trunks were gone. Our children free and grown. We stood to win it all. We held their gaze, unblinking, for such an age. Until our children aged also. Silently, they died of romantic or career-induced complications. <laughs> All of them. All of our children died, one by one, of romantic or career-induced misfortune. Secretly, from a great distance. They were far away, but close also. They kept in touch. They wanted us to win. As we grieved the passing of our four children that we had borne from the insides of our pockets we held their gaze unblinking we held the gaze of every other player in this game unblinking through all the bearing raising and mourning of the passing of these children and we did it for them oh. also we carried on despite ourselves for the memory of our beloved children whom we have raised rapidly with rapidly with such an honest careless love we held their gaze until the end until the round was done and beyond that round which we lost we carried on regardless to honor them to honor our dead children who loved us and wanted us to win. <laughs> but we did not. No.
We lost. We lost it all. Both the upper and the lower parts of our trunks, all of them. Our hips, our stomachs, and our chests, all of them were gone, and our children also. We have been cheated. If not for that and other rounds, we would have won. But they knew, somehow. Somehow, they saw. You. You saw. You. To whom we are talking. You were the players in this game. You who listens, twitching, eyeless, or you who watches, shiftless, scratching at the surface of our self-inflicted suffering. Which you inflamed. By cheating at this game. We would have won. If not for you, we would have won. We'll find a way to beat you yet. You'll see. You'll watch us. We'll commandeer our limbs, each of them. Others also. Yes, other people's limbs also. Many of them that we found scattered in the muck yes. and gunk that you exchanged for both our trunks. We'll commandeer them also. In one great raging bulk, flurrying with arms, legs and heads. Our heads. And legs and arms, all of them ours. Mm. And we will Sew them up as one with these fine nerves and other things. Our nerves! Our nerves and other things also. We will sew them through these many thousand arms, legs and heads and pull them tight together so that we become this punching, kicking, butting beast of bloody vengeance! We will have it! We will! We will have our vengeance! And with it stamp and thump and ram you down to death! Vengeance for the loss of all our children and our trucks! Which you'll return! We will. You will return our trunks first and forthwith, and then our children when you journey down to death. You'll come back up with them from death. You'll return our children to us from death, and then you will go back to death also. Yeah, for cheating at this game. For the big death for mercy, for shamming <laughs> us this game. You will not beg us. No, our ears will stop her to your screams. <laughs> You'll beg death in person for her pity. Which she'll not give. Oh, no, she won't. For she is merciless like us. And there you'll sit forever. In death, with death forever. <laughs> just as you have sat dealing death to others also in this game that you have bent to win. Falsely. Selfishly. Selfishly. You bent and broke this game just as death does to every living thing. But you are not death! And you will suffer and die for faking what you were. Pass me that block. A block of flesh. Oh, Nesta Bone, pass it me. Pass it me here. It is too smeared in gunk. Oh, use the rag. The rag by my hand? Yes, your hand. The hand that twitches, nerveless, by the rag. Blow these nerves from my nerves into it uh, so that we may grasp the rag and use it to wipe away the useless gunk from that block of flesh or Nesta Bone. And then, also, every other gunk-smeared thing that's scattered all about. Useful things! Like legs and arms. And other people's heads and trunks. And legs and arms also. Other people's legs and arms and heads and trunks and our own. That we may thread them all together and have our bloody vengeance. I cannot blow. No, you can. Together we can blow my nerves into your hand by breathing sharply at it. At this hand? Yeah, your hand, yes. Blow by breathing sharply to it. It is almost working. Heave at it, just, just a fraction harder. I am doing so. It's, it's almost working. <laughs>